0: and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hello. And today, we're going to teach you so many things. Not really. I mean, we're going to reflect on what's already happened, <laughs> but we're going to talk about the bear market and the stock market being down, which we've talked about a little bit. But I think what we want to do today is just take a little bit of a deeper dive into kind of why that happened and also like how that affects different types of investments. Because we talk a lot about the stock market being down, but the stock market is not one thing. The stock market is large growth companies, it's international companies, it's bonds sometimes. That's not stocks, but when we're talking about the stock market, when we're talking about diversified portfolios, generally, that's one of the investments that you hold in your portfolio. So we're gonna talk about all of those different kinds of things And it's very important to kind of understand that some of these things are easy to explain in hindsight, but it is not easy to predict what's going to happen next. So we might be able to look and be like, oh, well, this makes sense that this happened. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that then tells us what to do next it doesn't so a lot of times it's more important to be consistent than anything else but I do think having some broader understanding of what happened already can give us a little bit more of a sense of maybe not security but at least understanding you know if we can understand what happened we feel a little bit more comfortable with it sometimes maybe not all the time (laughs) so we're gonna start out just by talking about like what has like contributed to the bear market so far this year and how that looks across different types of investments you want to get us started Corey?
1: yes and i think it's you know important to highlight that it, it's really easy in hindsight to explain things or at least apply a logical story that makes sense in our heads that we think explains things even if that story may or may not be truly an accurate depiction of it um but it's really hard to predict the future and predict what's to come. If if we could, then we, we would never really see market declines. It would just kind of be a flat, steady, gradual increase. Um, but we have these highs and lows, these ups and downs, because you know w- w- we don't really know where the line is until we cross it. So you know we get overexcited and, and things maybe get a little too high on the on the upside and then they pull back and maybe come down a little too much on the on the downside and then you know it it ebbs and flows and kind of tries to constantly find that equilibrium which is constantly evolving and changing as the world around us evolves and changes um and and the market is a forward-looking thing it's trying to assess you know based on you know, what What do we think the f- the future value of these securities, these companies are going to be? You know, back in finance class, they'll teach you the, the discounted cash flow method. All right, take their, their, their cash flows, discount them by some arbitrary interest rate that you want to set. And all right, what's that stock going to be worth then based on their company earnings and their dividend rate? Um, but again, all that stuff it's constantly in flux, constantly changing that's how we see prices change all the time and 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 you know react to news and and current events because it's trying to forecast all right how is this going to impact the future prices and future revenues of these companies um and and it's and it's an inexact science so I think the big things that everyone probably aware of or at least familiar with now that are that are probably causing the largest impact on all of the the declines across the board is um, interest rates and inflation you know inflation's obviously been been pretty high for, for I guess well over a year now um, and part of the Federal Reserve's job is to try and manage monetary policy so that inflation remains at a modest level. They like having some inflation. I think the Fed wants to target about a two, two and a half percent long-term inflation rate, um, and it, it's a natural thing, but having, you know, nine, ten percent inflation is, is a bit unsustainable. Um, so, you know, year over year, as of August, so we're recording this in September. I don't know, it'll probably be released in October sometime. Um, So some of this information will change between when we're (laughs) talking about it and when you actually hear it. But as of August, inflation was 8.3% year over year, which is down a little bit from the 9.1% we saw in June. But it's still a lot higher than what the Fed wants it to be at. And and it's being stubborn and not coming down as, as quickly as they would like. So in response, the Federal Reserve... You know has in, has been increasing the Fed funds rate, which is the overnight lending rate to banks. Um, they increased it again in September by three quarters of a percent, and it's expected that they will do the same in December. Um, and then uh, you know the the interest rate hikes. Um, you know, and inflation has been a you know a drag on stock and bond prices. With bonds, it's pretty simple. You know, you you increase interest rates. So now your existing bonds aren't as attractive because they're, you know, at a lower rate than what new bonds are going to be issued at, you know, in a vacuum, all else being equal. So that's going to drive existing prices down. You know, the the existing bond issuers will still make their dividend or, or yield payments, and they'll still repay their their principal, assuming the company or governmental entity stays in business. You know, the bondholders will get their money back, but they're getting money repaid at a rate that is less than a, a new bond issuer would be paying based on the current rate environment. So that's going to drive old bond prices down a little bit because they're arguably less attractive than new bond prices at higher rates. So um, I'll pause there for a second. We can try and digest that or if you want to make it sound more
0: <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think the bonds thing... It- yeah, it's well, it's not that it wasn't intelligent, it's just like hard to follow. Like, bonds are kind of complicated. Like, you think you buy a bond for a thousand dollars and you get a five percent interest rate and then you get your thousand dollars back, and that's the end of it, right? Like, that's the idea. Except that, you know, they're in reality, people are buying and selling these bonds, they're not just buying them new from the government. You know, you're know you buying and selling them in a marketplace. And if someone can buy a brand new bond and get 7% and you're holding this existing bond with a 5% yield and you try to sell it to someone else, it's not going to be worth $1,000 anymore because a new one you can get 7% on. And so the bond market, it, it gets really complicated in that way, especially as interest rates start to rise. And when they start to rise as quickly, like that's going to drive the existing bond prices down. And with stocks, it's just... You know, it's more expensive for companies to operate when money is more expensive to get. You know, when any debt that they take on at this point is going to cost more than debt that they would have taken on a year ago, that's a big deal. You know, that cuts directly into profits, which cuts into like stock price evaluations. And that, that's mm-hmm. why you start to see these decline in, in the price of stocks, especially stocks that rely heavily on borrowing. The other thing is that, like the like Corey said, like the the stock market is very forward facing. So they're trying to guess what happens next. Everyone that's buying and selling these stocks is like, okay, so we we kind of are getting what's happening with interest rates. We know they're going to keep going up. We expect that to happen. The Federal Reserve is telling us that's going to happen, um, and that part of that is that it was more than like stock people expected it to be because inflation stayed high and so like the federal reserve is is having to raise rates more aggressively than they expected which is why we keep seeing stock prices come down and down and down but now i think part of it is also that people are trying to anticipate whether or not this interest rate and inflationary environment is going to lead to a broader recession with job loss and things like that because that hasn't happened yet like the job market is still very very strong and so that's one piece of the puzzle that hasn't kind of fallen apart yet but if it does happen, then that would have a bigger impact on the stock market too. So I think part of the depreciation we've seen in the stock market is in ante- anticipation of, of a broader recession of some kind. So, you know, there's some reasons that have already happened that that lead to this stock price depreciation. But then there's other things that may or may not happen, and it could be that we've overcorrected at this point. But that's the thing that's really unpredictable: is we don't know that. Um, and I think the other thing is that there's, there's other things that are playing into this too, like the Russian war in Ukraine, like all of these kinds of things that affects like oil and gas prices. We're still dealing with things like supply chain disruptions. You know, companies still can't hire and fill positions that they need to. So there's some other strains on the economy too that are playing into this. But I think definitely like inflation and interest rates are probably the biggest thing.
1: For sure. I think maybe to relate, you know, a couple of thoughts here. You, you talked about how it's more expensive for companies to operate now that interest rates are higher. I think the easiest example would be relating to it personally. If you were to go out and buy a house with a mortgage, you know, a year ago you could get a mortgage at 3% interest and buy a house. Now that interest rate is going to be over 6% for most borrowers. So essentially when it translates to what the actual payment is, it, it's going to be a significantly higher monthly payment, and and as a result, borrowers can now afford about 30 percent less home for the same payment amount as they could a year ago. So if you can afford, you know, a $2,500 a month payment, and that's you know the most you you can you want to spend on on a house, well, that $2,500, you know, it doesn't doesn't get you as much as it used to. Um, you know, say it's yeah, I, I I'm making this up, but say a year ago you could buy a $500,000 house for that amount and, and today maybe it's only a uh $350,000 house. Um, you know, it, it, it just because interest rates are higher, it, that mortgage payment, you know, a larger portion of it's going to interest. So same thing with companies. Companies want to borrow money to to fund their operations, you know, they got they're investing in a project ahead of time, hasn't they haven't received or reaped the 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 benefits from that yet. You know, they got to come up with the money somehow if they don't have the cash in their bank or they want to keep cash in their bank, they they might take out some, some loans to finance that investment. Um, it, it costs them more to finance that investment and they may not be able to invest as much into it. Um, you know, or more of their revenue that's coming in is going to be going to interest on their debt payments moving forward. So as a result, their bottom line profits aren't going to be as robust. The other thing, and we've talked about this in an entire episode, I forget exactly when, but the idea of expectations versus reality. Um, you know, we, and we talked about how your happiness, you know the, the formula for happiness is uh, reality minus expectations. So if you... If the reality turns out better than you expected, it's going to result in your happiness meter going up. If the reality turns out worse than you expected, your happiness meter is going to go down. Same with the market. At the beginning of the year, everyone and their mother knew the Fed was going to raise interest rates. The Fed told us they were going to raise rates probably six times this year. and they, they kind of set a target for what those were going to be. As the year has progressed, inflation has stayed persistent. The Fed has had to increase the amount that they are raising rates by. So the, at the beginning of the year, everyone thought we were going to see rate increases at X level. And the Fed has actually had to increase them at Y level, at a higher rate. Therefore, the market has adjusted Downward saying, okay, the news is worse than we originally priced in, so we got to adjust back even further than we adjusted at the beginning of the year. You know, the market's been like stocks and bonds have been more or less steadily declining since January. It hasn't been like a big shock at one point. There have been a few, you know, minor ups and downs or, or bigger uh, decreases than others in certain months, but um, like if you look at the year to date graph, it's it's pretty much an escalator down um as the news has continued to to come out you know every you know every month or two you know inflation's higher than we had hoped fed's got to raise rates higher than they had hoped all right let's adjust prices downward accordingly again and and that's kind of again in hindsight easy to look at and say oh that, that that's an easy explanation probably not the only explanation again a lot of other factors at play here um but you know that that's part of what it is you know the thing as more news has come out it's a little bit more negative than initially expected, therefore, you know, if the news was more positive than expected, like if if everyone's expecting a, a three quarters of a percent rate increase in December and the Fed comes out in, in late November, early December and said, hey, inflation's coming down faster than we had hoped, we're only going to raise rates by a half a point now, the market's probably going to react very positively to that. And you'll probably see, you know, a, a bit of a jump in prices as a result, Um, Because that would be a a surprise in the positive direction for the market to hear. And they're already factoring in another three-quarters of a percent increase.
0: Absolutely. So only time will tell. (laughs) Yeah. I think the one other thing we really wanted to get into today was just like how these kinds of like market conditions affect different kinds of companies. So Um, when we talk of like categories of investments, we often call them asset classes. And we're going to look at that a little bit too. But one thing to think about, and I don't know if we've talked about this a ton in the past, but when we're talking about stocks and and companies that we're investing in, you have a category of companies called growth companies. And you have another category that we call value companies. And value companies are the ones that are just kind of like They've been around for a while. They make a decent profit. They might like pay their shareholders some dividends because they have a little extra profit. They're not trying to rock the boat a whole lot. They're not investing in like research and development and all of these kinds of things. So they're just kind of like the steady companies a little bit. And maybe like they can still have prices go up and down, but there's not as much volatility. And then we have growth companies, and a lot of that is like larger tech companies or smaller tech companies, but, you know, tech companies or other companies that are newer, and those are the ones that are often taking their profits and reinvesting in themselves and growing and growing and growing. And those are the companies where, you know, when things are good and they're growing, you see their stock prices go up a lot. And growth companies have been on a tear for like the last decade probably since like 2008 2009 they've done really 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 well but in this kind of environment this is when they don't do well because growth companies rely more on borrowing than these value companies do and so we've definitely seen like the the value of growth companies come down more than the value of like the value companies that you could potentially have your money in. So when we talk about the stock market, a lot of times people use like S&P 500 or something like that as like a stand-in for what is the stock market. But really that's just the 500 largest domestic companies that are publicly traded so it's just large U.S. companies that's it it doesn't take into consideration international companies or small companies or bonds or anything like that so it's just one little piece of the market but the S&P 500 leans pretty heavily on those growth companies or has in the past at least Um, it's down like 21 percent year to date so these are the kinds of market declines that we're talking about. It's you know a pretty substantial decline. Growth companies are down more than the value companies. It's like twenty five percent versus eleven percent at this point in time. So if you have more of your portfolio in growth companies than you do in value companies, then you know it's come down a bit. Whereas if you have more of a balance, like maybe it's not come down quite as much. The Nasdaq is an index that is mostly like high-end growth like tech companies so just tech companies specifically and that one's down like 29% year to date. Um, So I think a lot of times like we think we can't lose if we just keep putting our money in these companies they do good and good and better and better and better and like why would you not put your money in these companies but there is some risk to being so concentrated in a specific asset class. Um, One thing is like I, I don't know if anyone's heard of like Fang stocks I'm sure a lot of you had but that's like Facebook, Apple, Alphabet, Netflix, and Google. Um, and those are down, like most of them are down so much this year. It's crazy. Like Netflix and Facebook are both down almost 60% year to date. Amazon is down like 30%. Google is down like 27%. Apple is the only one that has a positive return so far this year. Which having a positive return at all in this year is pretty impressive so that's like definitely the one that's kind of held its own a little bit this year but there's other asset classes that have done better some that have done worse it just depends on what you're looking at
1: yeah apple's almost like turned into a value company at this point it's kind of crazy to think. yeah
0: that's true
1: they have been around for a long time really um but uh but anyways, you know, kind of continuing along those lines, we've seen small U.S. stocks measure, measured by the Russell 2000 are down about 23%. International developed markets are down about 25%. Same with emerging markets. Um, bonds. Bonds are supposed to be that safe haven when the stock market goes down. But the aggregate bond index is down about 13% year-to-date. What the heck? I think, and this is rare. It's, it's really rare when stocks and bonds are both down significantly in the same year, and, and we've you know, already talked about some of the factors contributing to that. Um, but again, you know, being diversified, if you're in a mix of stocks and bonds, your portfolio is going to be down less than it would be if it was all in stocks. You know, bonds don't guarantee growth. Nothing guarantees growth. It, it doesn't exist. There is nothing out there that can guarantee you positive returns after inflation over time. Um, there's some investments and in securities that are much safer and less risky than others, um, but they all have you know, pros and cons and, and, and some inherent risks built in. Um, but yeah, no, this is an anomaly. It doesn't happen very often um, that, that bonds and stocks are down together. Now, all these figures that we've thrown out, again, this is as of uh, about mid-September, so it could be different by the time you actually are listening to this. Um, and it doesn't include dividend reinvestments It's just the, you know, share price returns. Like for example, on the bonds, if the bond index is down 13%, but the trailing 12 month yield is about two and a quarter. Um, you know, you're really only, if you're reinvesting your dividends, you're really, your portfolio is only down about 11% in that example. Um, doesn't make it that much better, but at least it's something and a large <laughs> portion of, Bond returns, actually, the majority of it in the long run comes from those dividend yields and then the coupon payments that they pay out. Um, Because if if you're like, Rochelle mentioned earlier if you buy a bond for a thousand dollars and hold it to maturity you're getting your thousand dollars back plus the interest so the the actual value the par value of the bond doesn't change like you, you know exactly what you're getting you put in a thousand you get back a thousand it's the interest the coupon payments that that are what you're doing it for Um And, you know, as long as interest rates keep rising, bonds are kind of going to be behind the eight ball, and newer bonds being issued will be at higher rates than older bonds. So you're going to see existing bond prices continue to have a a weighted vest on them. But eventually, at some point in time, we're going to turn a corner. The Fed's going to stop raising rates and either level off or potentially decrease rates a little bit. When that day comes, now the older bonds... Are going to be at either competitive or potentially higher interest rates than newer bonds, which will then increase those bond prices because the, you know an older bond paying seven percent is going to be more attractive than a newer bond that pays five percent. So you'll pay more for that seven percent bond um, to get the higher yield. So it, you know it ebbs and flows. It, it, the markets work themselves out beautifully uh, over time. They, they, uh, they, they eventually find that equilibrium, but it's, it's a moving target. So that's why you constantly see things in flux.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to bring up one example of just like kind of a well-diversified portfolio. So just something you might have in your 401k, like a Vanguard Target Retirement Fund or something like that. That one's down 21% year to date. So diversification doesn't protect you from market risk, period. But it does kind of even it out. So if you're not just in large growth companies, you know, if you're not just investing in, in small companies because you think they have more potential for growth or something like that, if you're able to create some diversification, you can kind of even that out a little bit, which can be really helpful long term. Um, the one other thing about bonds that I think is really interesting is that over the last few years, there's so many conversation about like bonds are dead, like they don't even give you a yield anymore, like what's the point, blah, 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 blah. And that's because interest rates have been really low for a long time, you know, so bond yields were just not very high. And this is making bonds potentially more attractive in the future. So it, it could be that that they're coming back to being the tool that we wanted them to be, you know, that, that yield will increase if interest rates stay higher which they may. I think that it's important to understand the historical context that like the federal reserve rate being what it is right now, this is not abnormally high. It's just higher than we've grown accustomed to. It's not it's not out of the realm of of what we would expect the interest rates to look like. Um, two and a half and three percent mortgages. That is out of the realm of normal. That is unusual. That's not <laughs> not what we should necessarily expect our mortgage rates to be.
1: Yeah, last time we saw rates as low as we have for the last decade was after World War Two, when you know they slashed rates to encourage people coming back from the war to buy homes, reinvest, et cetera, the GI bills, all all that stuff. Um so it's been, what, what are we, like 70 years, essentially? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over 70 years? 75? Um, when are we at 45? So, math. closer to 80 years. So we're, we're talking, you know, it's been 75 years since we've seen rates that low. We're, you know, this is arguably that a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Now, I'm not saying it can't come back here and, few years or whatever or we'll see it again in a decade or two um but but yeah uh we, we've been spoiled for the last decade with cheap money and um now we're, we're getting
0: back paying the to, price
1: to, to normal <laughs> i should say um, yeah
0: absolutely yep so i think it'll be interesting just to see how this evolves i think a lot of times people are like okay so we get that we're in a bear market maybe there's going to be a recession Blah lot a lot a lot like what do we do next So I think it really depends. I mean, that's our favorite answer to everything, right? It depends. So are you a long-term investor? Do you need your money in the short term? Like, All of that is something that you have to consider when you're making decisions about your investments. Um, I think there are some really conservative, like, short-term plays that you can use for money that you need in the short term. Like, I-bonds is something that you can Google and look up. Like, there's there's drawbacks to everything. I-bonds, you know, you have to have your money in there a certain amount of time. It's kind of, like, tied up. But it's an interest rate that's linked to inflation. And so the interest rate's really high right now, or the yield is really high right now. Um, if you have other cash holdings that you're just saving, inflation's really high so that money is kind of losing value. It's not it's not kind of losing value. It is. like your purchasing power is declining as you just hold that money in a savings account. So if you can at least set up like a high interest savings account or something like that, that'll be really helpful to get you at least some amount of yield so that your money isn't losing as much value, which you know, something is better than nothing. But for most of you, like if we're talking about long term retirement savings, um, you can almost treat this as like a, an opportunity to buy shares at a discount. And they are absolutely selling at a discount from what they were previously. So if we look at that same Vanguard Target Retirement Fund on January 3rd, I think that was the first trading day of the year, that fund price closed at 47 six cents per share. So $47.06 per share. And then yesterday, which was September 21st, a share of that same fund, the Vanguard Target Retirement 2050, was 37.84. So again, down, you know, 20-21% year to date. So you probably, if you have a Target Retirement Fund in your account, you bought shares at that January share price. And you're probably currently buying shares at the September share price. And both of those shares are ones that you're going to hold until retirement. And then when you sell them, because you need income at that point in time that's what matters what matters is like what price you sell at and so like right now you can buy shares at a much lower price point than you would have in january or december or november of last year and you get to hold them for the same amount of time because it it's this this stock market decline is not necessarily changing when we take out long-term money so there's a lot of opportunity to potentially be investing and at least keeping up with what you were doing before and not letting this kind of scare you away from doing your typical retirement savings Um, and then when you get to retirement if everything plays out the way that it should like it should be worth more and we don't know that for sure but you know over any 20-year time period in stock market history it's been positive so far and there's no indication that that anything is going to be different moving forward
1: I think another important note if for most people they're contributing to their investments on an ongoing basis between your workplace retirement plan, if you're making monthly deposits to a brokerage account, whatever. So every month, if you're, you know, depositing a thousand dollars into your account, with lower prices, you're able to buy more shares for that thousand dollars. Like if you go to the supermarket and you're buying apples for Normally they're a dollar a piece, and you buy ten dollars worth of apples every time you go. You get ten apples. Well, if apples drop to fifty cents a piece for your ten dollars, you now get twenty apples. Same with your stocks, you know, or, or your mutual funds or your ETFs. If the if the price per share is lower, but you're putting the same dollar amount in every time, you're getting a larger quantity of shares, which can help with that compound growth over time. So. Um, yeah, you know, just keep buying. It's the short answer. Just keep investing. the The statistics are in your favor that, in in both the short and long term, the value will likely be higher in the future than it is today. No guarantees, of course. Um, you know, one out of every four years the market goes down, but that also means three out of every four years it goes up. So odds are in your favor that it, it's going to go up uh, for you over the long run. And you're just able to accumulate more shares for the same dollar amount. So if you have extra money lying around, yeah, it could be a good opportunity to buy money, buy shares at a discount compared to where they were a year ago. Um, If you don't have extra money, just keep buying. Just keep investing. Keep up with your normal cadence and, and just know and be giddy that you're buying more shares for the same dollar amount than you were nine months ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just did some quick math, but with like the, that Vanguard fund we we're talking about in January, it was like you could buy 21 shares for $1,000, and now you can buy 27. So that's awesome. Um, I think the other thing is that we don't know what's going to happen over the next few months, over the next year, even over the next two years. Like, It could be that this is a good buying point, but also later is a better buying point. It could go down a little bit more. Like, We don't know what exactly that looks like, but what we do know is that it costs less than it did earlier. Um, in January, December, and that, you know, it's very likely that if we have the same sort of stock market performance we have over the last 100 years, that when you retire, they'll be worth more. Um, Yeah, so I think it's just important to be consistent. You know, you don't want to let things like this derail you because if you do, you can get into, you know, a... I don't know the habit of only buying when share prices are high because that's when you feel comfortable buying and that's not what we want to do yeah
1: so and it, it ultimately gets back to something we preached since the beginning of time if you need your money in the short term it shouldn't be invested anywhere near anything that could go down in value stocks bonds real mm-hmm. estate for most of you listening, you know, you're know you earmarking most of your investment dollars for retirement, which a lot of you have a decade, two decades, three decades to go till you're going to be needing that money. So no reason to panic. Sure, it's not fun. You don't get excited when you look at your account and it's down, but we don't need the money anytime soon, so you have plenty of time to let a rebound recover and ultimately grow to potentially higher highs in the future.
0: Yep, absolutely. If anyone has questions, you're always free to email us or just follow up and tell your friends.
1: (laughs) Yes, tell your friends, share, like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review. Much appreciated.
0: Yep, thank you for listening. See ya. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group, LLC.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff.
0: You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram Vanderzanden Rochelle or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden.
1: Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our finity group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app, and don't forget to check out our financial clarity blog at the slash blog.